welcome to E-Commerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. Okay, everyone, this is e-commerce innovators. My name is John LeBaron, and I am the chief revenue officer at Pattern. We are very excited to bring together as generally the brightest minds in the industry to learn more about e-commerce, the latest trends, the biggest innovators. And today we have an innovator right here in our backyard. Welcome to the show, Matt Navarro. He is the VP of sales for Stanley. And if you don't know Stanley, uh, you must be living under a cave somewhere or a rock somewhere, but very excited to have him to the show. He was a participant and a speaker at our successful Accelerate event in the summer and uh, very excited. It took a minute to get him on the show, but very excited to have him here. So Matt, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for the, the patience and scheduling. And I certainly enjoyed meeting you and the team at, at Accelerate and excited to spend a few minutes with you today. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, it's been one of the craziest summers that I can imagine and remember uh, on tap for us. So certainly not your bad. Uh, we've just been bouncing in and out of uh, business travel and vacations and all that kind of fun stuff. So here we are in the fall. Tell us a little bit more about what a VP of sales does at Stanley. And, and for those that are not familiar with Stanley, tell us a little bit more about the organization. Yeah, so Stanley is a 108-year-old drinkware brand that uh, really was the true innovator. Speaking of innovators, William R. Stanley, our founder, um, founded double wall stainless um, vacuum sealed bottles um, about 100 years ago. And um, I would say what our leadership team has been doing for the last two or three years is, is trying to take this iconic American um, brand um, and uh, continue to connect with consumers for the last 30 and 40 years, but also introduce it um, to a new set of consumers in, in 2021, 2022, and beyond, and, and bring products to, to today's consumer that really uh, help us connect um, with their life and with their lifestyle. So it's, it's been a super fun ride. It's um, something I've always wanted to do, which was, which was reinvent um, or be on a team that, that really has the, has the opportunity to reinvent a, a historic, um, really iconic brand here in North America and beyond. Yeah. And again, to give our listeners context, you posted to your LinkedIn, let's see, five days ago, a New York Post article that says the Stanley Tumblr was sold out everywhere. Shop the restock now. So we're in a world where these things just cannot stay in stock, despite, I mean, multiple substitutable options in a way, right? Air quotes there. Uh, Chinese knockoffs. I mean, there is, there's no endless, you know, way to get a, a basically like a, a drink, uh, a, a cup that is even like you know reinforced and, and double walled. But for some reason, your cup, well, not some reason, a lot of actually good reasons that I'm sure you'll tell us about, cannot stay in stock. And I actually, once I saw that on your LinkedIn, I'm like, you know what? I need to get one of these cups. I'm always still in my wife's. She hates it, and I just need one here around the office. Because um, the drinks stay cold forever. So I went on your website. Sure enough, I'm like, oh, the restock, there's going to be tons. No, there was one color left, I think. And uh, and I got this 40 ounce cup and it's on its way. I haven't even received it yet. So that's the pandemonium. That's the hype around this brand and around this company. Tell us why. I mean, you gave us a lot of like, you know, the, the corporate kind of pitch, but why 
is this product, why are your products just flying off the shelves? You can't even keep them in stock. This is crazy. Yeah, I, I, it, uh, it certainly has been a wild two years. Um, you know, Stanley has now tripled in size over the last 24 months. Um, so 20 to 21, we doubled. 21 to 22, we'll double again. Um, and, and the second piece is, it, it is we're a super, uh, we're a global brand in the drinkware space, which is a bit unusual. Um, North America is still our largest market, um, but followed very closely by South America. Um, and, you know, if you look at brand awareness, aided and unaided, frankly, in, in places like Rio and Argentina, um, it is, Stanley is incredibly popular and also a really premium brand. Yeah. Um, and uh, also in, in Korea, um, we uh, were incredibly popular in the hydration space in Korea. Um, but pulling it back to pulling it back to North America, I think, um, as I told the group at Accelerate a few months ago, our success, I think, really is rooted in just listening to the consumer, um, be incredibly connected to what the consumer wants in their lifestyle. Um, the, the popularity of getting back outside through the pandemic um, and even after the pandemic has certainly helped our, our business in our categories. But I think really also we've, we've done a really good job of listening to the female consumer in the marketplace from the buy guide who was the, one of the original influencers who really helped us bring this quencher to market um, to Lauren Solomon, who's our national sales manager, who, who also was really influential in developing the, the quencher success to Ellen Powers, who's our, our director of product development, Del Hudman, who lives our, leads our direct to consumer business. Um, these women um, were, were, were very influential in just helping us understand what the consumer wanted in today's day and age in order to stay hydrated. Um, so the quencher was really rooted in a woman's voice, women's talent, um, women, female decisions, um, and really the leadership of, uh, of, of the Stanley team across the world. And the popul popularity of the product really comes from listening and co serving consumers in color, in innovation, in durability, um, in just keeping water and, and, and liquids cold, as you, uh, as you said, and, and giving that to them in a trend and a style that, uh, that, they, that they connect with and, and believe in. And, and that, has, uh, that has really created this, this almost cult following around the quencher and, and certainly been just an incredible uh, growth trajectory for our brand over the last couple of years. Yeah, I love it. Well, uh, congratulations on helping build this amazing business and, uh, you know, for building products that truly are innovative. Um, you know, there's no just hype that can substitute a bad product, right? And so uh, that's the amazing thing about building something so special and listening to the cons consumers and tapping in. Um, it's just, it's fantastic. So you're based in Park City, uh, which is awesome because we're based just down the road here in Lehigh. Yeah. And, but you didn't grow up here. You didn't, you don't really have this strong connection as many people do. And increasingly this state is, you know, there's people from all over the country, California, New York, Texas, et cetera. Tell us a little bit about your journey, not just to Utah, but journey overall. Um, I think as I've interviewed so many amazing people, um, I just find that the innovation, the roots are deep, right? They start super early. So tell us a little bit more about your background and how you ended up at Stanley and, and in Utah here. Yeah. So, um, you know, I really started my career in the sporting goods business and, uh, 
I got hired as a, as a tech rep, frankly. Um, this would have been 1998 um, to, to date myself a little bit. But um, as a tech rep who, who, was, who was selling um, baseball and softball products to minor league baseball parks, um, they gave me a van right out of college. And, and uh, it's really where I learned, I think, how to negotiate and influence and travel. And it was, it was early stages of, of a sales career that um, I think was like having that grassroots role. I would, I would recommend to everybody early in their career. I think it teaches you um, so much about business. And like I said, influencing and negotiating. Um, and just kind of was a sales 101 uh, where I cut my teeth. And that was with Rawlings Sporting Goods in the baseball space. And then the bulk of my career I spent with Amer Sports, A-M-E-R. Um, they are a global sporting goods and, and apparel holding company. They own Wilson Sporting Goods. They own Solomon. They own Atomic. They own Arcteryx. Um, previously owned Sunto and Mavic in the, in the wearables and uh, in bike space. And I spent the first 15 years of my career with them on the Wilson Sporting Goods side. I uh, was in team sports, racket sports, golf. I, I, I touched a, a bunch of different pieces of that business and sales leadership roles and commercial roles. Um, and really, I think the, the, I was very fortunate that have, to have two bosses or leaders that I worked for with Amer Sports and specifically with Wilson. Um, that taught me just a ton about leadership and how to take care of people, how to make sure you show a high level of empathy, um, how to work hard and, and stay motivated, um, but also treat people the right way and, and build high performing teams is what I think I learned most from those folks. And, you know, about 10 years ago, well, not 10, seven years ago, I was asked to, to, to move from Charlotte out here to Utah to, to manage the winter and outdoor business for, for Amer Sports. And so that was really the transition from the East Coast, moved my family 2,000 miles across the country from Charlotte to, to Utah. We landed in Park City, and uh, it's been just an incredible place to raise a family. I have three, three young kids, three teenagers, uh, three teenage boys who are football players and basketball players and lacrosse players and snowboarders and skiers. And so it's an incredible playground for our family. It's just been a great place to, 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 to raise our, uh, to raise our family for sure. Um, yeah. So it's, it, Utah is, uh, is just an incredible place. And uh, if, if folks who haven't been there definitely should come and check us out. And like you said, there are, people moving from Texas and California. And I think they said this year, there's 400 new kids in Park City Schools. So um, certainly population growing, growing really quickly. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely wild. Well, maybe just to double click uh, before, you know, you, you ultimately kind of came to Stanley, just your time in America is so formative. And certainly, again, as I talk to folks, one of the like primary recurring themes is really great leaders, really great managers. And so I would just say, if you're listening and you're young in your career, you're listening to this podcast right now, um, I probably said it, I'll say it over and over again, just like, don't worry about the company or the pay or the location or anything, just focus on finding really great leaders to go work for, because it'll do more for your career than anything else, than the, than the name brand, the reputation, again, like the big metropolitan yeah. area, whatever it is. Uh, really seek after those mentors. Um, and generally they are truly like your direct manager, right? Like that you spend the most time with them. And I've certainly been blessed in my career to work with 
many, many amazing leaders that just changed the whole trajectory of my career. So I think that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's why I stayed there for 20 years. Um, certainly it was an incredible learning opportunity. I mean, I had the opportunity to work for, you know, um, in, incredible brands in the sporting goods and outdoor space. Um, also in a time where we were transforming from a wholesale based business to a digital business. Um, all of those brands, Wilson specifically, was very similar to Stanley in some ways where hundred year old brand um, had maybe lost the connection with the consumer slightly over the, over the last 10 years in the late 2000s um, uh, or like 2008 to 2012. Um, and, and we were there transforming the organization into a digitally focused organization focused on the consumer versus focused on on wholesale buyers and customers and retailers right and and so the learning that provided was was incredible but but again to to double down the the biggest value was was the folks that I was able to learn from and the leaders that I was able to learn from and and yeah if you're someone you know emerging in your career early in your career I would just um, urge you to find mentors, find leaders that you that you really connect with or can connect with, and be like a sponge, um, and and really, really learn from them every uh, every opportunity you get. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, I want to double click again before going into Stanley on this um, interesting paradigm, right? It, it, from my perspective, two major kind of pivots ended up happening in your career. One, you kind of went from this traditional, almost like summer sports, I think of like, you know, tennis and baseball, basically, into the switch over to, uh, you know, you became the director of, of winter, uh, you know, outdoor, obviously cycle there, et cetera. But like, there's a switch almost from like summer to winter a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious to understand like how that changed. And then certainly the other paradigm that ended up happening is as you grew and you and ultimately ended up leading all of North American sales. Uh, and then to your point, you kind of start to transition from this wholesale, uh, even like brick and mortar retail, e-commerce and digital start to play way more of a role in, you know, the early and mid 2000s than it ever has before. So can you tell us about like those two dynamics and how they, you know, affected your thinking and your strategy and, and tactics and, and overall, how, how different were they? Sometimes there's this perception that they're crazy different, but maybe they, it was much more fluid than, than we envisioned. So. Yeah, it, it was it was really interesting. I had again back to back to great leaders. Um, I had a a leader uh, within Amer Sports who who just believed in me, um, and I had zero experience in winter and outdoor apparel and footwear. Um, I had been, like I said, on with the Wilson Sporting Goods team, sports golf and and racket sports business. Um, but at Amar Sports, we did believe that there were certain disciplines and fundamentals that that transcended all of our businesses and brands. And we tried to really put those in place with with all brands across the portfolio. But the question you asked was a really good one, which was the one I asked myself: Is uh, you know how different is this ski business, um, outdoor apparel business, um, at the time wearables or watch business, and and even the cycling business going to be from from what my experience had been in and. Yeah. I think there were I think there were a couple things that were that were interesting or or two consistencies is one that those commercial disciplines and fundamentals around just how to run a business um, and how to ensure you're connecting with the consumer in order to bring that brand to life in the right way to your consumer and understanding the consumer was very consistent whether you're selling skis tennis rackets golf clubs baseball bats. Um, it really was those core fundamentals around the consumer that I found 
very consistent. Um, the second piece was was just making sure that, that you treated people the right way, um, um, that you showed a high level of empathy, um, you communicated in the right way, and you listened to people and what what both your internal stakeholders and teammates and and also customers wanted. And I think those two principles, you know, transcend industry or uh, whatever product you happen to be selling. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so. So that's kind of the transition from what I'll call summer to winter. And I love that focus on the fundamentals and staying close to the customer and innovating around that and, and all that goodness there. You've answered that first kind of question of what is the transition between, uh, you know, kind of outdoor to or, or summer to winter, et cetera. And I love your comment on focusing those fundamentals and really just staying close to the customer. As you think about, you know, the second transition from traditional retail maybe brick and mortar, maybe wholesale business over to digital. And you have kind of the emergence on multiple fronts, right? You have the retailers starting their own dot-com, right? Of Shields, REI, Cabela's, Dick's, whatever. Then you have pure play e-tailers entering the scene. I think someone like a backcountry.com. You have your own dot-com that you've got to, you know, probably sell out of as well. And again, talking to so many different brands, some of them get caught flat-footed, some of them over-invest like in their D2C at the expense of other, you know, e-tailers or, or retailers going.com. Tell us a little bit about that because there's the, the strategy piece of it, but then there's also just inventory. How do you, how do you start to make, you know, bets in that way? How did that go for you at that organization personally and professionally? Yeah, I would, well, I would, I would say both of both places in my career, you know, both at Stanley um, over the last two years and then really at Amer Sports, um, the previous five, most brands were behind in this space, right? Traditional sporting goods, apparel, footwear, even drinkware brands um, were traditionally wholesale focused. Um, much of their feedback and decision-making was based on what buyers um, had to say from a retail side. Um, and that changed quickly, as you know. And, and it changed because the consumer told us that they wanted to research and and purchase and transact in a and and even connect with brands in a in a very different way and um we found ourselves having to totally transform the organization from a talent and capability standpoint we needed a different skill set from um our teammates internal to the brand and then even you know to salespeople from wholesale focused salespeople to salespeople who could really um, operate within an omni-channel and multi-channel environment, and um, those shifts over the ten over the last ten years, if you look at look at it right now, have been like drastic for brands. And if I look at the how we've tried to look at that strategy over the last few years, it's really been direct to consumer first. Um, we believe that the, that the consumer today expects a direct relationship with the brand. And it's also the place where you control 100% of the message, the content, and the experience. And, and that's been successful for Arcteryx. It's been successful for Wilson. It's been successful for, for Stanley here recently. And I think the challenge of that is, is really keeping that focus or strategy um, balanced with your wholesale um, and, and retail partners, both in the digital space and then also you know, just brick and mortar retail. Um, and I think what we've found is, is that direct to consumer experience, if it's a really good one and you're connecting with consumers that, um, you know, that that rising tide lifts all ships. 
And we've been able to balance that with investment in Amazon, investment in uh, e-tailers like Backcountry and Moose Jaw and, 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 and the major players online. Um, and then really choose strategic partners like Dick Sporting Goods, Shields, REI here in North America, just to name a few, um, that are multi-channel retailers. We, we, we also forget sometimes and we, we want to bucket them as brick and mortar retailers, um, but there really is no brick and mortar only retailer in today's world. And so our focus has really been on those three things, direct to consumer first, um, and then multi-channel retailers and investing in, in the retailers that are winning the consumer. And, you know, the, I probably, the question I maybe get asked most is like, okay, Matt, sounds really easy on a podcast, but how do you, how do you balance that? And, and we have chosen just to follow the consumer. Um, so we, we talk about winning channels and winning customers and those being the customers that we invest in. We make those decisions um, by following the consumer and understanding that the consumer is voting with their, with their time, with their, where they research mobily and, and where they transact every day. And we need to make sure that our product is in front of that consumer in the right way, in a consistent way, in a premium way. And those are the folks that we choose to partner with and invest in. Yeah. And, and you're never going to get it right, right? Like you're never going to completely nail it, but you got to just do your very, very best. I think, you know, one of the interesting things is your .com generates uh, Stanley now, a, you know, a ton of different traffic. And maybe before we get down to the strategy there, just hearkening back to the you know, career journey, what ended up pushing you? Because you kind of like can reach the apex in a way, like you're, you're kind of like at the top of your game at, at Amir Sports. And then Stanley is a little bit of an adjacency. Like, tell us about that decision and how it went down. Yeah, I mean, Amir Sports had gone through, um, as I said, I, I, I had just an incredible 18 years there, learned a ton, got to work with incredible brands and most importantly, incredible people. Some of, some who are still like, the best friends in my life, right? That that uh, spans both personal and professional, um, and 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 people I just learned from. Um, but Amer Sports had gone through a ton of transition. Also, they were bought by uh, Anta Sports, who is a Chinese private equity company who really specialized in in retail in Asia. Um, our leadership team here in North America helped and and supported that transition. And then I just found my myself in a space where I was. I was starting to think about what was next. Um, yeah. and, and there were really three or four things I was looking for. One, I loved American uh, heritage and foundational brands. Um, and so I, I, I was really searching for what that could look like. I wanted something smaller. Um, Antis, or Amer Sports was a $5 billion corporation. There are some pros and cons to that, as, as we all know. Um, but I was really looking for something maybe in the um, $500 million space, a brand looking to go from 500 million to a billion um, and, and needing go-to-market transformation. Um, and then third, and most importantly, I was really looking for a, a, a brand or a company that um, the, the company values around people and leadership um, and sustainability um, really connected with, with my personal values and, and beliefs in those spaces. And Listen, I was super fortunate when when Stanley called, just like everybody else, I had to Google it and three years ago and I'm like, man, is that the green thermos? Um, and, and I was pretty hesitant because it was a space I wasn't familiar with. It, it certainly wasn't as, I'm using air quotes here, it wasn't as sexy as sporting goods and skiing and, and apparel and footwear. Um, but as I got to know the leadership team, as I spent more time with Terrence Riley, who's our president, um, it, it was clear that there was a like-mindedness around leadership and culture and values. 
And I became to became really excited about what this hundred year old brand could be and taking it from a hundred million to 500 million and on a path to, to a billion was really the, 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 uh, the goals and, and we're, we're well on our way on that path. So, um, it was unlikely for sure. It's definitely not, uh, not where I, where, where I would have guessed to be, you know, five or six years ago, but it's been really fortunate and just a great experience so far. Yeah, I love those somewhat accidental jackpots we hit in our lives, um, often through no totally credit of our own. Uh, you just kind of stumble into something amazing. And I would say, you know, my ride here at Pattern is very, very similar. Um, super small company, had never heard of it, all that sort of fun stuff. And, and it's just, it's fun when you have leaders with a big vision too, and they see what can, is possible and they see what, what it can become. And it's intoxicating, honestly, to, um, yeah. to help that across multiple finish lines year over year over year. So that's that's fantastic. Okay, well, I guess yeah, I the other thing I would underline is like, I mean, John, we're having a blast. Um, it's not easy. Like, yeah. it's hard. But when it's, even though it's hard and when you're surrounded by by great people and um, a leadership team that, that cares about each other and really cares about the future of this brand and being good stewards of the brand for the next hundred years. Um, and you're able to build a team of, of, of folks who are, who are diverse in, in, um, in every way, including uh, background and experience. Um, it's, it's just really, really fun. And uh, again, doesn't come without its challenges, but, it, but it's been super exciting and, and just a blast. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point because, you know, we didn't even really say that, but Stanley's not based in Utah, right? So you're here, but, you know, a lot of the leadership probably in the center of gravity is up in the Pacific Northwest. Tell us about that. And like both from a COVID, which maybe that changed a lot of the dynamics, but just overall, how do you, you talked about that culture, you talked about having fun. How, how much of that do you do remote? How, how often are you traveling? What does that kind of look like? Um, I think a lot of the listeners would be interested in that. Yeah, it's changed a lot, of course, in the last two or three years. Um, I, I took this role without meeting anyone in person, face to face, which is just crazy to, to think about. Now it's kind of commonplace, but if you had told somebody that 10 years ago, they would have told you you were crazy. Um, and uh, yeah, our headquarters is in Seattle. Um, this role actually would have been remote, uh, even pre-COVID, um, you know, a global sales role where you're, where you're doing a ton of traveling. Um, but just like everybody else, our office in Seattle had been, has, had been closed for the better part of two years. Um, coming out of COVID now, um, like I said, we're fortunate from a trend standpoint that getting outside and that has become part of people's lifestyle. And so that's certainly um, tailwinds that we're, that we're riding. And then we're trying to, you know, un we, we firmly believe that there is value in people being together. Um, and so while we're in a hybrid environment, we're not making people go to the office. Our office is open. Um, we are trying to find more and more reasons for people to gather. Um, and yes, let's gather socially and just connect as people. And then also it is gather um, for those strategy sessions and, and meetings and businesses and even difficult sometimes conversations that are just much better had in person um, versus behind this, this screen that we've all been staring at for two or three years. Um, so I don't think there's any right answer. I mean, all, all of just like every leader, you know, I spend part of my week reading what Amazon and Google and all these companies are doing with the return to work. Um, but I don't think there's one right answer for everybody. And, and, and our take right now, and we're learning as we go, 
um, is, is to be hybrid and, and just really seek to find ways for people to, to gather, reasons for people to be together, um, to, to really help build and further the, the Stanley culture that we believe in. Yeah. And maybe just to tie off on that a little bit, I mean, from an innovation standpoint, I do get kind of the argument a lot of times that it's much harder to be innovative in a remote kind of world or, or place. So do you agree with that? Do you, is that part of the drive to bring people together is just that, you know, kind of magic that ends up happening in person or, or are there other reasons, I guess, for that outside of just, you know, culturally to, to, to kind of come together. But I guess the, the main question truly is, how do you foster a culture um, of innovation at Stanley? What ends up working and not working for, for you guys to be, as you've gone through this, uh, you know, COVID craziness? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all gotten much better virtually. Um, like even this conversation would have been really awkward three or four years ago, right? Because we just weren't used to it. It would have been uncomfortable. And um, so I think we've learned the ways to connect virtually. Um, I know myself, one of the really simple things that I try to do that's hard is virtually people just get into meetings and they go and you kind of lose the small talk of like, hey, how was your weekend? Um, and I think just consciously, if leaders can can try to can try to step back and and uh, and connect with people um, prior to getting into the the virtual meeting space is is helpful and I do think that our best ideas our best collaboration our best discussions um, happen in person and I and I don't think there's a I don't think there's any way to replace that um, it's not to say we don't have good discussions good meetings come up yeah. with ideas virtually. Um, but I don't think we're at our we're at our best. And so, again, not to not to oversimplify it, but I know our 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 point of view and certainly my point of view with my team right now is is making sure we find ways to gather. And, I, and I'm spending mo more of my time traveling for that reason than I am for, say, key account meetings or, you know, flying across the country or even across the world for a two hour top to top with a customer right now. I think a lot of that can be done virtually and, yeah. and it's saving time, energy, effort, and money in order to, to, to work more on those the internal culture and, and building relationships with our largest partners. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, maybe two other big areas I wanted to focus on. One is leadership and, and the second one, uh, which I'll start on first is really just e-commerce. Um, as it relates to Stanley, and just maybe broader than e-commerce, just the digital, right? There's, you've talked about this a little bit. There's the influencer side of it. There's your D2C angle. There's this omni-channel retailing experience and then marketplaces. Um, tell us about that a little bit, because when I bought the mug last week, I went to your .com. Um, but then I also, after I bought it, I went to, to Amazon. Ironically, I almost always go to Amazon first and went to go look at it. And assortment was there. But you kind of have these arbitrage sellers that have jacked up the price, you know, 3x or whatever, uh, which is kind of a bad experience, right? The brand experience, I guess. If you, if you have no price elasticity, it's a great experience because you get any color, any size. But you must be seeing that a lot. Anytime there's that much demand, you're trying to keep, it, you know, certain channels in stock. I think you guys probably have like a, a direct relationship with Amazon on a 1P basis. Tell us about that and, and how do you manage um, I guess the overall portfolio of the digital and e-commerce strategy um, and, and how it's working or not, right? Yeah, I think it's it, like, like we spoke about maybe um, earlier, it's, it's about two things. One, it's about balance, um, putting direct to consumer first, but also balancing your, your, your business and strategy with your retail partners. 
And we're basing that again on, on, on consumer behavior. Um, where is, where is the consumer expect to see our brand? Um, ensuring where they see our brand, they see a, an assortment that is, uh, is curated for them um, to make sure we're serving them the right product at the right price at the right time and the right retail environment. Um, those are all things that our commercial team, um, which really was just created a year, a year and a half ago, um, is working really hard, hard on. And, and, and so it's, it's things like channel segmentation, differentiated product assortments, but ultimately making sure we're following the consumer. And, and listen, on the Amazon topic, um, we're careful and, and curated in our Amazon assortment, but the reality is a really high percentage of people start and end their, their search on Amazon. And Absolutely. so um, we have a really strong relationship with them. And um, the key, as you mentioned earlier, is that we've been able to keep price consistency in the market by having very tight distribution um, and by ensuring we have the right assortment and also not oversaturating the retail market to where people feel like they're forced to put things on sale. Um, yeah. Now, I will say we are also not trying to starve the market. It's not a marketing plan to be um, out of stock every month. Um, we are building quenchers and hydration and ice flow and aerolite um, as fast as we can build them and ramping up um, our operational capabilities as quick as we can. Yeah. And I think what you'll see in Q4 and into Q1 for us from, from us is is uh, much greater availability across channels for uh, for that consumer because we know we're 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 creating some not only confusion but just frustration amongst consumers with with the lack of supply maybe over the last four or five months. But it's yeah. not purposeful. I can I can assure you, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a master plan to frustrate. No, it's the not. Um, okay, so maybe two questions again, one out of leadership and the last one just uh, tying that back in onto the innovation side, um, whether e-commerce or not. But generally, like one of the questions I love asking our guests is you're in this environment of flex and there are international components to it. There are digital and e-commerce components to it. Um, there are supply chain components to it, et cetera. And you've given us some really good ideas and uh, fundamentals, as you, as you call them, uh, in terms of running a successful, you know, consumer facing business. But as you look, kind of look back and, you, and, and look forward as well, what are some of the things that you feel like, you know, brands truly kind of need to deliver to be leaders in their categories and in their segments? Yeah, I think it, uh, a little bit of what I talked about um, at Accelerate a few months ago. Um, I think the, the, the secret sauce, and it's not that big a secret for us, um, was getting really close in understanding the consumer. Um, we could created consumer personas so we could really understand and identify who, what consumers we were targeting, who is the Stanley consumer. And, and once we're able to once we're able to do that, then then you start to talk about or think about what other brands resonate with that consumer. Where do those consumers shop? What channels? What parts of the world? Um, wh what does their behavior online look like? Um, and really understanding just um, what they expect from from you and, and your brand. Um, and, and once we once you develop that, that's really what our strategy became was was making sure that we're we're giving that consumer what they want and something that connects with their lifestyle is on trend. Um, and, the, and the second piece was really around color innovation. I think in our space, um, the, the 
are we 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 have great competitors um, and and really strong competitors, which I think help make us great. And I hope that that we've helped make them better. Um, but really, the the space we found was around color um, and really connecting that that color in a in in a way that connects with their with their lifestyle and uh, and other ways within their lives. And we had also transitioned. The other thing I would say is we we really transformed from being outdoor to outside. So Stanley had always been in the duck blind on the on the pond, in the fishing boat, in the hunting camp, in the camper, right? It was it was pretty core outdoor. And over the last couple of years, what we've found is there's there's a great way also for us to be at the tailgate in the backyard by the grill in the yoga studio in the carpool line on the tennis court on the pickleball court um you know there there's just a much um longer runway for us in in connecting and getting helping people's experience to be better outside and and uh i think that's that's really the three maybe innovative places we've we've connected is is focus on consumer, be consumer-led, um, real innovation around color, and then transforming our business from, from outdoor to outside. Oh, I love that. There's so many good ones. For the first piece of that, you know, where you talk about getting close to the customer, I mean, I think any like business book you read, it's going to say stuff like that. I think the hard part for probably our listeners and, and any of us, honestly, is figuring like, how does that come to life? How does that get manifested? What are the things that you learn that actually end up changing either, you know, the product roadmap or the way you talk to, to, to customers or, or the actual things you're delivering, anything that comes to mind on that front that you felt like are, were, were super correlated to that getting close to the customer in terms of um, the output? Yeah, I, I think it's one of the huge advantages of, of building a strong direct to consumer business because you get real time concrete data and analytics around what consumers are, are telling you. Um, and that, and that, that doesn't go through any filter. You know, it's not through a retail filter. There, there's no, um, the consumers today will let you know exactly what they think and feel. Um, some of that good, some of that, some of that bad. Um, but I, I, maybe that's oversimplifying it, but I, but I think that's a really important piece to it is, is, uh, Yes, direct to consumer is more profitable. Yes, direct to consumer is our deepest and closest relationship to the consumer, but it's also the place where we get the best data and analytics around what folks are saying about our brand. Yeah, that's awesome. And anything that like comes to mind in terms of, I know you guys just introduced a, a, a V2 of the hydration piece, like anything that like, if I looked at the, your products today versus five years ago, how will they have, how would they have evolved um, because of that closeness to the consumer in your mind? Yeah, I think color. Um, certainly we're, we're following and, and staying very close to the consumer on, on color trend. Um, two is there's some simple things that, you know, folks have told us they, they want large capacity containers. You know, we had, I'll be honest, we had many people internal to Stanley and multiple big retailers who said you will never be able to sell a 40 ounce vessel and you'll never be able to sell it at $40. Um, yeah. and, and those were two things that, you know, have, have totally changed the marketplace um, with, with the quencher in particular. Um, simple things like they want cups to fit in their cup holder. So a 40 ounce vessel that actually fits in your cup holder um, was, a, was a big consumer driven insight. Um, and lastly, maybe it's another simple one, but just, just be dishwasher safe. 
Um, like people want to be able to put stuff in, in their dishwasher. And so like, those are really simple consumer insights though, that will lead and drive our product innovation over the has for the last couple of years and certainly will for the, for the next several years. And, you know, we're, we're creating and innovating around shape. Um, we're creating and innovating around color. We're creating and innovating around, um, you know, what's the, what's the next size? Um, what's the next, uh, What's the next product that Stanley can bring to the market that makes your experience, whether it's hydration, being in the outdoors, being outside, being on the campsite better. Um, and that's the cool thing about working for in this space is like our jobs is to make people's experience outside better and cooler and easier. And uh, yeah. those that, that's how that's how we try to think about innovation. Yeah, I love it. Well, and I would say, you know, personally, um, the handle on your most popular mug is a game changer too, just because, and it's so simple, right? But it's like, when you're trying to pick up your keys or head out to your lacrosse game or soccer game or, you know, whatever it is, and like trying to grab all your stuff, like just the ability not to like have, you know, the entire hand hijacked by having to wrap it around, you can grab two fingers or whatever. Like there's just, there's so much to love um, about that simple innovation there. That's so powerful. So. Totally. And our, our, uh, our product and color team, I would say also our, our, our second to none, um, Graham Nern, who's our VP of product came from Nike and Adidas background and, and, and is just a, a true innovator. And, um, what those folks have done in the last two years and, and I know what's coming, you know, I, I the, the sneak peek into the future is just incredible product for, uh, for the Stanley consumer. Yeah. I love it. Okay. We can't wait. Um, Maybe the last question uh, before we let you go today, Matt, and it's been a pleasure to, to be able to learn more about you and hear more about your success and background, et cetera. Um, for you, what is one of the leadership principles? And I know there are going to be a ton of that, that kind of flood in your, to your mind, but what is, you know, if you had to choose one leadership principle that has led to your success, what would it be? Yeah, I th there's a quote that I go to um, and I didn't, create this. Um, it actually kind of came from a, several different places, but um, how I try to lead is to create an environment where, where my team is able and motivated to perform at their best. Um, and I think I actually coach football and, and basketball and youth sports and stuff. And I think, I think that's a really, um, that's, that's been successful. I think um, it's not for them to be the best. Um, it's for folks to be able to be motivated to form, to perform at their best, whatever their best is. Um, and that means having a high level of empathy. Um, that means connecting with people at a personal level, not just a professional level. Um, that means building trust by showing your team that you really, truly care. Um, not only about the business, not only about the brand, but about them as, as people and, and, and last, investing in their future, understanding where they want to go um, and how you can help them get there, whether that's with your company for the next 20 years um, or, or maybe it's, it's, it's even being okay with what's next for them, even if it's not within your own team or, or company and organization. And, and uh, yeah, I think that creating that environment's not easy, um, but I think it's a big part of what winning teams are, are built on. Yeah, I love that. And I, it aligns very much to the way that I see the world and, and the you know principles that I cherish as well here is just helping people do the very best work of their careers. Uh, I want people to look back and feel like 
man, those were the best people. Those were the best times. Like I really, my fingerprints were all over that organization, all over the success. And to your point, you know, anytime where someone says this, it isn't here, I can't do my best work here for whatever reason, could be their interest, could be, you know, the location, could be a lot of different reasons. Um, I think it's really important for us as leaders to help them find that place where they can do their very best work. Cause it's just, you know, you know, as well as I do, you, you're long enough in your career, you realize like it's, it, it's actually goes, it's pretty short. It goes by quickly and our lives are just too short to be spent on something that's not meaningful. So yeah. And anyway. I think what solidified that for me the most was um, I asked myself that question um, three years ago and I wasn't in the yeah. best place for me to perform at my best. And, yeah. uh, and ultimately that, you know, as you asked me earlier, what like kind of led to that transition, that was a big, that was a big part of it. I just needed to, to find that place. And, and I would listen, I was fortunate and, um, you know, just blessed to, uh, to have landed with, with Stanley and, and Terrence and the, and the team. Yeah. Well, you feel like you're doing your best work here career today. Yeah. Just like I said, having, uh, having fun and, uh, certainly lots of challenges, but, uh, we've been fortunate to have great success too. Good. Well, it certainly looks like that from, uh, from the outside in, you never know, but, uh, you guys certainly seem to be crushing it. And just, again, massive congratulations and props to the entire teams. Uh, the theme of this year's Accelerate Conference was uh, the people behind the people. And I have no doubt, uh, you mentioned some of their names today. There are many people behind the people and behind the success. Uh, but congratulations to you and to all of them. I think it's just uh, fascinating. And uh, I get excited from, from afar to uh, cheer those companies on. And certainly, uh, you know, U.S. US made. And, and I love that as well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me, certainly. And thanks for thanks for being a, a Stanley fan. <laughs> Good. Well, it's, you make it easy. So anyway, thank you guys so much for listening today and hope you took something away from it. Uh, again, my name is John LeBaron. You were listening to e-commerce innovators and we will catch you on the next one. Appreciate it.